fellow Chevrons. In this episode, Airman First Class Julia Ahasi chats with Chief Master Sergeant Kimberly Pollard. Chief Pollard is the Chief of Air Force Enlisted Developmental Education at Headquarters Air Force at the Pentagon. The Chief shared her thoughts on why enlisted development is important, why resiliency is key to a successful career and your personal life, and a bit about her journey in the Air Force. It was a great conversation, so stay tuned. I'm Airman First Class Julia Ahasi, a Public Affairs Specialist here at the 102nd Intelligence Wing, and I'm here with Chief Master Sergeant Kimberly Pollard, the Chief of the Air Force Enlisted Development Education. She is here visiting Otis Air National Guard Base from the United States Air Force Headquarters at the Pentagon. Good afternoon, Chief. Can you tell me a little bit about the purpose of your visit today? Good afternoon, Airman Ahasi. Um, so the reason I came today was I was asked, uh, Tech Sergeant Givens asked me if I would come and talk to the Rising Six and the Top Three about enlisted force development, as well as a little bit of resilience and things that were going to be helpful for the airmen that are right here. I also, the bonus was I got to talk to the chiefs as well. Awesome. Um, so why is, in your own words, why is professional development so important, specifically in the National Guard, um, where a majority of our wing members are drill status guardsmen? So I think it is important because everyone, they need to know that there is some place for them to go and some place for them to grow. In my own words, that would be my, you know, you want to, you want to be better than where you started. And so for guardsmen, for active duty, for, for everyone, you want to be better than where you started. And that is the whole point of professional development is to get you from here to there in a way that makes sense and in a way that is relevant to your career and to your personal life. Awesome. Um, so I am in Airman First Class. I just went to BMT about a year and a half ago. Um, I think what squadron were you in? I have to interrupt. What squadron? I was a Gator. Okay. I was in the 320. Yes. yes. Okay. Yep. Right down the way. Yes, yes. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did like that squadron. I heard it was the toughest one. I think they all say that. I do think they but, all say that. Um, I liked it. Gators. Yes. Um, so I kind of just got my start, and you have, you started, um, do you start as an airman or an A1C? I started as an airman basic. Yes. I wasn't an airman basic long. Mm -hmm. So back then, I won't tell like this long story. So back then, you could sign up, and there was a sign-on bonus. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did. I signed up, sign-on bonus. I actually didn't get a career field until I was in basic, so I came in open general. Mm -hmm. I received my career field in basic training, and that was when they said, oh, for $2,000, you could get rank when you get to, like, six months in. And so I was an Airman Basic for not that long, mm -hmm. um, and then I then I had rank. But, yes, and then I went off to Intel school awesome. to be an imagery analyst. So, yes. So I would, I would love to hear briefly kind of your story from starting to where you are now and kind of – the advice you would give yourself when you're in my position or in a junior enlisted position um, from where you are today? Let's see. The advice I would give A1C Scott. I was A1C Scott back then. Mm -hmm. Let's see. A1C Scott, she graduated from high school in 1999. Mm -hmm. And she did one semester of college and failed miserably. She passed aerobics. And that was it. <laughs> she passed aerobics and was like, this is horrible. So I cut all my hair off, shaved it off, mm -hmm. joined the Air Force. I joined the Air Force November of 99, but I didn't actually go to BMT until January of 
2000. And I went, didn't have a job. So like I said, open general, I wanted to be on the first thing smoking. And um, I found out in basic training what job I, I would receive. I wanted to be a radiologist. So I wanted something with imaging. And when I was looking at the jobs, I was like, imagery, imaging must be the same thing. Same thing. No, it wasn't. <laughs> so, um, so that's how I actually became an imagery analyst. And then I did that for about four years. My first assignment was in Osan, South Korea. Second one was at Hickam Air Force Base. <clears throat> and then after Hickam is when things kind of changed a little bit. After Hickam, I was sent to Indian Springs, Auxiliary Airfield. That's what it was called back then. And I became an MQ-1 sensor operator. Actually, I was there at the tail end of RQ-1. So RQ-1 sensor operator, MQ-1 sensor operator. And then... That was, that was out there. I did my first contingency deployment. So I went to Iraq. I was uh, at Balad in Iraq. Did that. That was 05, 06. 06 had my son. And then I came back from there. I was working between Nellis. And by then, Indian Springs had become Creech Air Force Base. So I was working between Nellis and Creech. And um, spent a lot of time in remotely piloted aircraft around that time. Now we're at, at about 2009. I was uh, asked, a lot of us were asked, do we want to stay Intel or do we want to go to this new path with remotely piloted aircraft and become a new career field? And that's when I decided to, to leave Intel. Well, I thought I was leaving Intel. I never, ever left Intel. <laughs> but I decided to, yes, I'll become a sensor operator. And so we were, some of us were grandfathered into the new one uniform AFSE. There, we didn't have a tech school so I went to Intel school so we didn't have a tech school we um we had a formal training unit but the one we had was only at Creech Air Force Base and so by then we're going to stand up a new formal training unit at Holloman Air Force Base and then we also didn't have like staff jobs I didn't even know what those were back then but we had one in air combat command and so um, I ended up going to Holloman and helped to help stand up that formal training unit for MQ-9. So I went yeah. straight from MQ-1s to MQ-9s. And then after that, they said, hey, do you want to go to the Pentagon? And yes, so went to the Pentagon, ended up in the Remotely Piloted Aircraft Capabilities Division. Um, then I ended up in A3. So I was in A2, then A3. And then the rest is pretty much history because then it kind of took off from there. And, um, and I ended up, I was at the Pentagon for five years. Then I was at Creech Air Force Base, went back. And then I went to basic military training to be a squadron leader out there. And then National Air Space Intel Center to be the command chief. And now the Pentagon in, um, in force development. So it's been, it's been a whirlwind. I have not been bored one a single day. A long journey, but that all sounds very different and very exciting. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So when you were back at your start and, and a few years in maybe, what, what advice would you give yourself back then knowing what you know now throughout your whole journey? Yes. Um, I totally didn't even answer that question. Yes. What advice would I have given myself? Um, I would have told myself to be patient. Mm -hmm. I was in a hurry. Why? I don't know. But I would have told myself to be patient, and I would have also told myself, be patient, and you have all the tools you need. Right. You don't need any extra whatever it is that you think you need. You have all the tools. The tools are inside you. Be patient and believe that it will come at its right time because it did. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so, so far, while you've been on base, um, how have you found your experience here on Joint Base Cape Cod and at the 102nd Intelligence Wing? 
This has been great. Um, this is my first time to join Base Cape Cod. It's my first time to the Intelligence Wing. All of it's first time. It's my first time to Massachusetts. Oh, wow. So all of it has been great. It has been a warm welcome. Um, I, I loved meeting the, your wing commander. Um, you know, he really talked about the mission here, talked about the different changes, talked about the things that are going on. And so to get that introduction right away and then talk to your chiefs who are very much – um, inspired and excited about force development and then the NCOs. So it has been a warm welcome. Everyone here cares about the future of development, the future of airmen, and the future of families, and everyone wanting to do bigger things and better things. Uh, so it has been really great. It's been a warm welcome. Plus, you all introduced me to, I think, Cape Cod Coffee. Yes. Which was delicious. And I'm then glad you liked it. <laughs> it was delicious. And then there was like a box of other baked treats, I think, by another um, Cape Cod uh, bakery or something. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to say, there's also delicious food here, <laughs> which yes. is important to me. I love, I, I do food. love to eat. Yes. You have to try that too. I will. I can't wait. Yes. Dinner. Dinner will be seafood. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I know you are a resiliency expert and advocate. Um, and in your presentation today, you talked to a lot of the 102nd Wing members. Um, you talked about value-based goals and how they've brought you to where you are today throughout your career and your personal life. Um, do you mind talking about your passion for resiliency a little bit and why it should be so important to our airmen? I don't mind talking about that at all. Great. <clears throat> Originally, when resilience walked into my life as a named entity, uh, I didn't know it was anything other than, I don't know, making yourself feel better. Right. It walked into my life uh, in 2009, actually, when I was making a decision to move from Holloman to the Pentagon mm -hmm. because at the time I was a single mom. I was a single mom and... Um, I was making this decision as to if my son should go ahead of me and maybe stay with his dad for a year. His dad was also active duty. Stay with his dad for a year or if he should stay with me and we do this movement. But overall, my, my concern or what had me so, so concerned was I was wondering, am I choosing my career over my son? And so then after that, I walked into Airmen and Family Readiness, and I asked if I could talk to anyone that could talk to me. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember if she was the military family life consultant or if she was I, – I think she was just the counselor that worked there. I think I, I just needed someone to talk to. And she starts talking to me, and um, she's, going, she's going through all these different things. And then at the end of talking to me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes, I feel like now I, can, I have a few options. I can do some things. I knew, okay, my family is important to me. The Air Force is important to me. These are all things that are important, so what should be my next move? As soon as I had those things ready, she actually, at the end, pulled out this little square object. And she said, what I just went over with you is resilience and she, what she had she had um she had the one from the army oh and she had gone over with me that everything i just showed you was resilience and then i asked her i said well how how do i learn how to do this for other people and she said oh then you're going to want to become a master resilience trainer mm -hmm. that seed was planted in 2009 that um it didn't get wings and sprout until 2014 
I didn't become a, I became a resilience, a resiliency training assistant first, I want to say in 2013 or the beginning of 2014. And then I became a master resilience trainer and, and went off and did the training and everything in 2014. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as I've had more life, you know, life has been different. Life has, uh, life has, life is life in. So as life has been life in, um, I decided that I wanted to become a resilience building uh, leader. Uh, trainer, which is pretty much one of those coaches. And so I did receive that certification using Air Force Cool, what, just last year or the year before. So I, I finished that as well. So yes, resilience is extremely important to me. Mm-hmm. And so whether it be resilience training assistant, master resilience trainer, or um, getting a certification in resilience, all of them important enough to me and my life and the things that I've seen my life do. Um, it was important to me to learn the language. It was important to me to learn the skills and to be able to impart the skills on others, even when they don't know I'm doing it. So, yes, <laughs> very important to me. Um, I have a similar experience. I was uh, trained as a resiliency teaching assistant just, mm-hmm. just recently. So um, I have learned a passion for resiliency, and I learned that in tech school, and I came back here, and not too many people, especially who have been in for a while, were very familiar with these these skills that I learned and these different tactics. Um, how do you think that here at our National Guard base and other bases around can really implement resiliency into their everyday, um, how leaders can help their airmen, how airmen can help their leaders? How do you think that we can make this more of a priority? So I will say those that are trained live out the skills. <clears throat> and what I mean, I mean that literally, L- be the example of living out those skills. So that when someone says, hey, how are you doing that? Or how are you so balanced? Or how are you, then you're able to say, oh, well, I actually do this, 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 and this, which is a skill I learned from resilience. Um, I think that makes it easier to go from here are the skills I learned from resilience through my real life than to just get up and brief a slideshow, which I think is what has been off-putting for those who are like, I don't want to deal with resilience. It's just a slideshow. No, no, actually, it's a set of skills that you can learn that have been studied, that are, you know, that are peer-reviewed. These are real skills that we're not making up. And so I would say to make it a priority um, for those that, that do not know the skills, seek to learn the skills. Talk to an RTA. Talk to an MRT. Ask about the language. Um, find out, you know, if you're, if you maybe give all the symptoms of the problem of you might be having to an MRT or RTA and see, oh, well, actually, I think you would benefit from, well, value-based goals, or I think you'd benefit from accept, acceptance and meaning making, you know, mm-hmm. mindfulness and meaning making. Um, there could be something in there if you, if it, if we see it as a school, as a skill, I'm sorry, as a skill and a tool instead of, another brief or it's more than a buzzword for Mm -hmm. those of us who 100% believe that it's helped us in our lives more than a buzzword. And I 100% believe anyone can learn the resilient skills. Amazing. I agree. And resiliency is very important to me and and it's been present in my shop I've seen. Um, and it's starting to, to be more present around base as well in the recent years. I think so too. A lot of the people that came to talk to me afterward, I can tell that Mm -hmm. they've learned some of the skills and even if they're keeping it a secret, they are using them. So I am, uh, I have a lot of hope for the wing because um, like I said, the people that came to talk to me after I talked, they're, they're using the skills, even if they're keeping them to themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you have 
anything else that you'd like to to add about um, your experience here or about the importance of professional development? Um, anything that you'd like to share with our podcast, which um, just in case you were aware, Chevron's is a podcast from junior enlisted to, to senior NCOs. So it's for all the enlisted everywhere, not just on our base, anyone who wants to listen anywhere. Um, so what advice do you have for our listeners when it has to do with that? So <clears throat> the advice I have, whether it be professional development or resilience, is to think about how to make it work. If you think about how to make it work for you, there's a good chance you can think about how to make it work for others. So when it comes to professional development, if the first thought is that's not going to work because, well, turn that into a question. Mm-hmm. Because, because why? Because what? What would make it work? What, what are the other options? How else can we look at this differently? I would say go into professional development, even resilience, with curiosity. And sometimes that's hard, but think, especially when you're challenged, okay, how can I be curious in this moment about these things? And that curiosity, without even having an answer, you will naturally be led to the next right answer, the next right answer, the next right movement. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me more about your experience today on base and and the airmen that you talked to and just the experience you had with the 102nd Intelligent Wings members? Yes, I can. So the members have been great. Um, I will say that the members of the wing have been my favorite part of the visit, just seeing all the faces, hearing the different stories. One airman told me all about his four children, he, I'm not going to say his name because he may not want me to do that, but mm-hmm. he told me about his four children. He told me how he used to be a chef and how his favorite thing to, to cook is eggs. And he was so excited about everything. And I love that because you could just feel that excitement. Um, another airman, maybe actually two airmen, told me, um, even from my story, my story included my son um, who, um, who has high-functioning autism. And so there was at least two uh, of, the, of members of the team who came and said, my child also has autism. And so I was finding out through talking to everyone, and I try to make sure I take time to be present with everyone, that they were actually... They were actually getting, you know, what I was giving, um, but they were actually, I don't know, it seemed like family. I hate to say it like that. It's just, it seemed like family. So the family atmosphere has mm-hmm. definitely been my favorite part from stories about um, someone else told me their their son and their daughter also joined the Air Force and where they're stationed. I'm not going to give that part away and where they're stationed and some things they might want to do and Everyone here was so willing to share. I don't know if that's normal, but everyone here was so willing to to just share, and um, I really felt brought in the family. Mm-hmm. And um, as well as I, I just down just downstairs just a moment ago, uh, met met another new member of the family, and she was like, "You need to go to the Zen Den. I think it's called the Zen, Zen Den, Den in the building." So yes. I went in the Zen Den. I did. I went down there, and I ended up. There was some raspberry treat, which I think gave me energy for right now. Yes. <laughs> there, there's a raspberry treat, but really it's the family. Um, I really like family atmospheres, and I have felt like family since I since I landed in Massachusetts mm-hmm. and came on base. I've de- I've definitely been I've definitely felt like family. Arms were were brought around me, whether they know it or not. So yes, the people, my favorite part. Yeah, this base is very 
very open, and, and there's a big family aspect here too. I think just because we've all been a lot of people have been stationed here for a very long time, and their family joined. My family's in the military. My yes. parents are in, and my little sister. So it's very much. Um, a lot of people know each other here, and, and when you're open the way that you were in your presentation, I think that it invites other people to be very open as yes. well, and that's how you connect between between members of the wing and just um, in the Air Force in general. It's just being willing to be open and then share your story so others feel the, that yes. they can too. I'm hoping that they, that they definitely that they definitely receive that. I did receive that quite a bit in feedback that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an open and vulnerable story. It, it's the truth. And I, I will say this of what I shared, it happened eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And that is also in its own lesson. Sometimes we're not ready to share hard things and we're not ready to share those things that are vulnerable to us and that make us raw, whether in or outside of uniform. Sometimes we're not ready. And sometimes we do need time. Right. And in the passage of time, you actually get end up getting the lessons that you need to share anyway. So um, right away, I was not able to share. And in fact, I'm going to go back to your master resilience question. I was trained in 2014. Everything I talked about in my presentation happened in 2015. The year after. The year after. I was not ready to talk about this the year after. Of course not. I tried. (laughs) And I couldn't get through it, and I didn't want to be on stages crying. Mm -hmm. And I also had to prioritize my family because of what was literally happening. So it took me a few years before I could actually share um, what I shared on stage today. And like I said, now it's been eight years. My son is, you know, he was eight then. Um, he's obviously 16 now, but he's about to be 17. So we've, we've, we've moved past some of that and um, to a new chapter. So that would definitely, anyway, it would have it been hard if I had tried too early, and the, which is a whole lesson in, yes, you could be vulnerable, but you do also need to make sure, are you, is it time to be vulnerable? Are you mm-hmm. ready to be vulnerable? Have you moved past whatever it is you're trying to be vulnerable about? And then um, I'm, in, I, I'm a Toastmaster, um, I also do a lot of writing, and I'm in a creative writing class now. And my creative writing teacher, she loves to say, and even in Toastmasters, what do you want the audience to actually receive right. from your message? What lesson do you want them to get? Do you just want to um, give them a whole bunch of emotions that they're going to have to shift through, or do you want to give them hope and give them something to look forward to and give them peace of mind or give them that thing that says okay I am in the middle of my journey wherever that is but I can move forward and do something different or one of the aha someone came up and shared with me is you just shared with me that I am in this point part in my journey and it's time for me to recalculate my route the whole thing is route recalculation sometimes we need to figure out we're lost so that we can recalculate the route we're not always ready to talk about that Mm -hmm. um (laughs) I, I get I I regularly the reason why it was uh, I guess easier for me to come up with a presentation on recalculating the route is because um, yes imagery analyst <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes when I drive I get lost and yeah. and I'm like recalculate right so uh, so that's important but sometimes right when I get lost I can't like call someone and be like oh my god I'm lost because I'm still lost I right. actually still need the GPS I still need all those things to help me get unlost and then I can pick up the phone and call someone later we need to know that in our lives that sometimes we're right in the middle of whatever it is may not be the right time to do all this 
I don't know, vulnerability sharing. Right. Um, but then after the fact, after you've figured out where you're going or after you've even got, even gotten to the location, the journey, and then said, oh, that was everything I learned while I was lost in the sauce. I do like saying lost in the sauce. These are all the things I learned while, while being lost in the sauce. Now I can share. Right. And so that's even in its own. I, and I have to say that as a, as a resilience practitioner who's also uh, – I also have a deep responsibility for what I share with an audience, that it is also responsible to share vulnerability and authenticity responsibly right? so that we're just not leaving the audience hanging or like, oh, emotions, now what am I going to go do? I'm not trying to do that. So, mm-hmm. yes, back to that resilience one. <laughs> yes, so, so to process what you're going through first and being able to understand it and, and rely on those those resources that we have, whether it's our family or yes. if it's professional help or yes, or that the Air Force does provide for us as well. That's um, right. And we have that strong support system um, here on base and, and at home, hopefully. Um, and then when we're ready, there is that power and vulnerability. Um, so others can learn from your story that, that yes. happened eight years ago and, and you're able to tell now. Yes. Um, and then... Um, just connect with each other too and feel like they can be vulnerable yes yes oh all those things because all of those things literally happened during that entire journey connecting with others uh the exception the exceptional family member program seeking help all all those things happened in that journey and everything you said yes right. sums it up how to how to get through it and then how to share it responsibly right <laughs> and we learned in our resiliency program too the power and the importance of resiliency in accomplishing the mission, too. Because, yes, yes we need to take care of each other, um, and we're mission-focused, but we can't complete the mission if our people aren't okay. That's right. So we got to take care of our people so that we can accomplish that mission because if something's happening at home, especially when you're a, a drill status guardsman and your full-time career is your civilian career and, and you're only here one weekend a month and two weeks a year, um, that becomes very important. So when we come into to drill weekends and, and our training, just to really check up on each other and, and practice those resiliency skills with each other so that yes. we're fit to fight. Yes. And you had mentioned, um, you know, not being okay. And um, I remember being asked a question and having to tell someone not being okay is not a weakness. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay for you to know you're not okay. And then, like you said, these these skills apply to mission. They apply to not being, you know, they apply at home. Mm-hmm. So you can be in status, not in status. They apply across the board. Um, you know, we joke. They apply in traffic. So right. you're not going crazy when someone does something crazy in front of you. They apply mm-hmm. every, I could, yes. I would yes. be talking all day about the, how, how they, they apply in every way. In every situation. I remember talking about the traffic scenario and just kind of controlling your reaction. That's one of the resiliency skills, um, being able to have something happen and then be able to think about it first before you react. Yes. Um, and that's just something you can use in your everyday and Every and in the Air Force as day. well. I always say someone um, people don't think about. It. I'm like, when was the last time you reply to a message without thinking? Right. Um, or you, you know, just emotionally said something or emotional reply. That's mm-hmm. traffic. Yeah. You know, that that is it happened right in front of you, happened to you, and then you just bleep, it came out of your mouth. Right. That's traffic. And we have to see that that's happening every day. And then what, going back to us being a team and a family here at this wing, 
do we want to treat our family like that? Do we want to treat our teammates like that? We don't, so we do need to stop and think first so then we can keep, you know, moving out and doing the mission together. Mm-hmm. I love all of this. I could talk about resilience all day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, too, and I'm just getting started with it. Yes. Yeah. I see great things for you. Thank <laughs> I you. do, I do. <laughs> I do, I see great things. Thank you. Um, so we're, we're good on time. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or add? or? I, I think that's good. I, yeah. um, I like that because I, I do feel like we at least came back around to saying, you know, there's a, I almost, we, there's a responsible way to share vulnerability yeah. and authenticity. So uh, we have to be careful, those who are, practitioners of the resilience make sure that we're doing it the right way Uh, and then honestly right make sure we're not yeah that's a whole other thing I'd get off on another tangent (laughs) on what you should and shouldn't do but yes I love all of it thank you so much thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today Um, I really enjoyed our conversation I think that our listeners will get a lot from this conversation I hope so you're so welcome thank you for the invitation this has been great (laughs) thank you (laughs) 